we're living at a time when entrepreneurship is booming. But unfortunately, that means it's also becoming trendy. You got Instagrampreneurs posting photos of themselves with the hashtag CEO life or boss life in the caption. But what I find hilarious is that everybody wants to be a boss until it's time to do boss shit. I mean, are you willing to run a company and sacrifice a paycheck for yourself in order to pay your employees? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself, maybe even sell your shares in a company for pennies on the dollar? Because it's found that you're the one that's really kind of holding your company back. I mean, ultimately, if the answer is no, then this world is really not for you. But if the answer is yes, and you're willing to do what has to be done, then this life is a great life. Hashtag boss life. This is Kendall Lawson, sitting in for Dominic. Welcome to the startup life. Let's begin. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own look, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. I hope you are ready to receive some value today. I'm sitting in, of course, for Dominic. He's a little under the weather. And given the title of today's episode, we thought it was fitting that uh, you heard from me for a change. Uh, Today's episode is all about uh, the CEO class. You can think think of it as CEO 101. In our first segment, we're going to address some of the reasons why it really is difficult to be a good CEO. They're going to address some of the challenges and things that we want to consider in that regard. In the second segment, we're going to discuss some of the phobias CEOs bring um, to their companies and sometimes that can get in the way. After that, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with some of the mistakes that CEOs make because of those fears. Then we're going to talk about what a good CEO looks for in a coach mentor and basically how to set yourself on the path towards becoming a CEO in the future. I hope you're ready to receive great value today. Startup Nation, let's take flight. Now, one of the reasons that it's so difficult to be a really good CEO is because this job takes more guts than glory. Like there's more of the grimy, get down in it, um, stuff that you have to do really than all these accolades and motivation and praise. So the reality is that if you're going to be a good CEO, you have to be willing to accept responsibility and honestly be able to do that job without as much praise. You know, you're going to come away from this with some scars, but those scars, when they healed over the, just like the skin, they're going to be tougher, right? And it's going to make you stronger. And so you have to be willing to to deal with that and to do the hard work without necessarily some of the, the accolades. I mean, you really have to be the one that everybody is expecting to give praise to other people. You're building your team up so that you guys can actually work your way through some of these problems. 
you're also going to have to wear a lot of hats. I mean, you're going to have a lot of responsibilities and different things that you have to do, especially early on. I mean, when you're a startup and you have seven people that you guys are working on a team, at that time, honestly, you're less of a CEO and more of whatever you have to be. I mean, that means that you may have to buy some floors to keep the keep your space looking nice for you know, potential investors and clients and that sort of thing. But it also may mean that you have to do some creative work. You might have to do some design work. You're definitely going to have to get out there and promote uh, your business. So all of those are really going to be jobs that you have to take on. I mean, this is your baby. So you're going to have to do, you're going to have to be the mother and the father and the nanny and everything else for your baby. A lot of times, you know, this is one of those things that's really personal for me. And one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have the opportunity to do this episode. I mean, as a startup, as a company, a small company, and we're taking on more and more people. One of the things that I'm responsible for doing as a CEO right now, early on is to take up some of those roles and help to structure them. Um, This is basically how you write job and performance responsibilities because you've done the job. You know what it takes to have this part done. And so after you've structured that job, you want to be able to pass it off to someone else who you feel confident in and you know that they can do the job, not because you did it, but because they have qualities that that they can bring to this system uh, to make it better. All right. And then after that, once you've passed on that role, you can actually find another role or focus on another role, structure it, and find eventually find somebody to fill and step in and fill that role for you. Of course, all of this is not really just about passing off responsibility. It's about you know taking some of that responsibility off your shoulders and being able to share it with others. That's something that a good leader is able to do. I mean, not to micromanage everything and everybody, but to really fill those positions with somebody that you know that you know can do the job. I mean, you have to be able to make the big decisions and take the heavy risks. Uh, Part of this job is risk assessment. And then once you've assessed like, okay, well, yeah, there nothing is without risk. You also have to be able to manage risks and even accept the consequences if one of your deals or one of your ideas goes south. This job is unpredictable. I mean, you can't prepare for everything, but what you can do is have a plan no matter what happens. If something happens that was unplanned, you have to be quick on your feet and kind of be able to think your way out of it. So that being said, there's no universal playbook for being a CEO. When you step into a company, it's automatically different because you bring a different element and a different um, different character traits and different management and leadership style. On top of that, every situation is going to be different because it involves different players. Right. So you come to the table and you immediately change the dynamic of that company. But also each new partnership that you form and each new client that you have, those people are going to be equally unpredictable because even though you may have been in a meeting or done this exact activity before, you've never done it with this person. And so you do have to be prepared and creative and be able to kind of think quickly on your feet. So that is another reason that being a good CEO you know, it's, it's somewhat difficult and it's, this life isn't for everybody. The next thing I would really think, uh, you know, and this kind of relates to the previous point, you really need to learn and try to prepare yourself to make as few decisions as possible. You don't want everything to have to go through you. That really just slows down the process of what you need to do. And it really creates a culture where your people know you don't really trust them. And so your goal really is to hand off as much as possible to share leadership with the other stakeholders in your building. 
These don't have to be your shareholders, the people that you're getting money or funds or whatever from. So you're not necessarily beholden to them. You know, you're just showing that you have confidence in them. And so your other stakeholders is everybody who contributes to helping your company run. So that means like you do have to be grateful when you have it for the janitorial staff. You do have to be grateful, you know, when it's there to have somebody to kind of speak up and, and kind of put checks or give you advice as well. And so all of this really comes from the fact that you need to earn the you need to learn to respect your employees, but that you also have to earn their respect in return. You have to listen to them. And, you know, that's why you hired them. You hired somebody to come in with some sort of expertise. If you're the smartest person in the room or you think that you're the only intelligent person in the room, then guess what? You made a mistake um, in hiring uh, the people that work for you. In order to earn their respect, you have to basically accept and constantly motivate, encourage, and coach them up in the area that you hired them for. But you also have to show, you know, why you were hired. You were hired to make the tough calls, to make those decisions. And so oftentimes that will mean, you know, convincing other people on your staff, other intelligent, other talented people that you have hired, that your decision is the one that we should go with. It can't necessarily be a thing where it's like, you know, I'm just the boss and this is what I'm this is what we're doing. And I don't really want to hear anything else. I mean, that's going to create an awful culture. And even worse, even if everybody does exactly what it is that you want to do, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, the outcome is going to be the best outcome. All right. So what this will do is it'll really allow you to focus on the big decisions, which is once again, that's what you're there for. This is stuff like, you know, the budget and the spending. This is really where a lot of CEOs, a lot of bosses, as you want to call them, they fail to direct their attention. And of course, that means shit can go sideways like really fast. So one of the things that, you know, you're looking at the budget and spending is making sure that there's money in the bank, you want to be able to have enough funds to execute your vision and really give yourself this nice safety or security blanket or whatever. But for me personally, you know, one of the really big things why this is, is this is this hits home for me is that, you know, I don't play with people's money. <laughs> like if I take on a staff member or somebody's going to do a job for me, I want to make sure that I have the funds there to cover not just my debts and my responsibilities to you know outside vendors and things, but to the people who are at home. I mean, yes, it is great being a startup and having people on your team that are willing to like sacrifice a paycheck and take a pay cut, but they're looking looking to you, honestly, as a CEO, you're supposed to make sure that your people are taken care of. And I take that, you know, honestly, as a big responsibility. And I think that's part of what's being, you know, really difficult to be a good CEO. Yeah, maybe sometimes I don't get a paycheck. Maybe sometimes I have to look at this. But I always want to make sure that the people who have given their heart and soul and their talent to, to growing my company are taken care of and, you know, they have enough means to meet their ends. And so by doing this, you know, you take a really, really great step to setting the right culture um, and a lot of time culture is like the hardest thing in a company to manage and a lot of CEOs don't give it adequate thought that the more happy people are in their jobs the better the job they're going to do and therefore the better the outcome so a lot of times you know I said that you know budget and spending they're they're really important um, you don't want to come become hyper focused on that either because at the end of the day if it's all about a dollar then 
you know, your product is going to suffer, your process is going to suffer, and ultimately your people are going to suffer. And all of these things are related to each other. And it's just not, it doesn't make for good business. And so in order to build a good culture, a lot of times we as leaders have to recognize that a lot of times our job is, is, is more to inspire than it is to intimidate. And, you know, I was just talking to some people about this, really, that that's, that's just, it's really crucial and important. And so a lot of times we think of CEO as being the boss or being just like the H, you know, the head person in charge. But in reality, you need to be the biggest learner and the best listener. And so all of those things are going to help you to set the right culture. Another large part of that is that you also want to be the best salesperson. I mean, you may have reached a, a point or you may eventually reach a point where you no longer have to go on sales call. You don't have to make cold calls. You don't have to show up at people's offices and get the door slammed in your face. But you constantly have to be selling your vision and your mission to the people who work for you. And not only that, you know, of course, you want to sell your vision and your product and your business and you know, really talk up the talented people that you have on your team in order to get other people like investors and, um, you know, outside stakeholders excited around the culture and the product that you've created. And so, of course, this involves being able to communicate well, being able to motivate your team and understanding that your job isn't to know everything. You know, your job is to pull together the information and the people that you have in your organization in order to solve problems and move your business forward. Now, out of all of this, we talked about these these reasons that make being a good CEO difficult. Um, But, you know, at the heart of it, honestly, you'll have to think of it like this. Like one of the reasons why, you know, people might, you know, not build a good culture, might not recognize the strengths and the passions and talent of their team. And a lot of this comes from fear. You know, your fear of being replaced or um, other fears that you might have. These things can stand in the way. And so fear is probably the the biggest obstacle to being a good CEO. Now, you would think like, okay, well, I'm the CEO, I'm the boss, at least from the outside looking in, I got all this money and power and that sort of thing. Um, and hopefully you have some respect. But a lot, of, a lot of problems, a lot of times that fear comes from internal issues. You know, nobody goes into their job and certainly nobody builds a company tabula rasa. Like, so nobody's a blank slate. You're going into this with your past experiences. Um, you're going in through to this, therefore, kind of understanding when you were that awkward teenager and nobody wanted to talk to you. And if you're like me, sometimes you struggle uh, with uh, this millennial title, you know, and I don't want to go into uh, a building and assume that other people are just waiting to hear what I have to say. But that means that I cannot actually deny others an idea that might spark their brain. And so when we're afraid, a lot of times we're being selfish. We're denying the world something that really needs to be heard. And so what are some common fears that that people who could be good CEOs and people who even are currently serving in those roles uh, they, that they have? One of the common fears is, is, of course, underachieving. You know, you have these goals set for yourself and you know that people are dependent on you. And so you're kind of afraid that you won't live up to the hype that you created around yourself. And sometimes that can make you, you know, really take bad risks and overcompensate because you are afraid of un- of underachieving. You kind of go all in, even when it's a time where you need to sit back and kind of and really think about this. Or you want to be known as a mover and a shaker, a, a, dis- a decisive person. But 
you know, there's a time for that. And then there's a time to kind of run that that sort of risk analysis uh, to poll the rest of the people in your organization and kind of, you know, get some ideas about how to move forward. And so a large time, you know, we want to be the people with vision. And it is important as a CEO to have a broad strategic vision. But you may also need some help or there might be better ideas that can come out of looking to others before just making a quick decision. Now, this next one is something I think all of us have probably seen because at some point, most of us have had a a boss who was really afraid of being too, of appearing like they were too weak, like they were vulnerable, um, like their position was at risk. And, you know, in a really in a real way, especially if you work for a you know, a Fortune 500 or publicly traded company, or even if you, you know, since we're talking about leadership in a general sense, if you're in a, at a company and you're a manager or you're working up towards that executive level, you know, of course, there is always going to be competition. But you want to be a person that lets competition drive you and motivate you, but not somebody who's afraid of competition. Now, people who are afraid of being appeared like, you know, of appearing too weak or vulnerable, they're going to be the people who get heavily involved in politics at the office. They're constantly, you know, pretty much at war with somebody when really you you should be working to build a collaborative team. They're going to attack colleagues and try to, you know try to start the rumor mill. They're going to try to put bad information out there, especially for people that they perceive as a threat. The problem is if you perceive somebody as a threat, that means that that person is really talented and intelligent. So what you're doing there is running off your, the talent in your building and you're only surrounding yourself with people who are not a threat to you. And so while that may sound good in the short term, in the long term, it's going to mean that your business itself is not competition for anyone else. Like your competitors are not going to be worried about you. So when this happens, it goes back to a previous point. You build a culture where everybody doesn't trust each other, where everybody's kind of backbiting. But I mean, I think we're seeing that in the current, the presidential administration. I mean, when you do that, you have people who are leaking to the press and that sort of thing. But that's because you created a culture that was primarily based on, you know, hyper competition instead of collaboration. And so, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's, stupid you know just frankly and it's weird because oftentimes these people their biggest fears of appearing foolish in front of other people another example honestly this speaks to our line of work is when I go in and I work when I I coach and mentor teachers who are afraid of being fear, um, looking foolish in front of their students. If they have a typo, they, you know, become very, very embarrassed. They become aggressive because they, you know, the kids, if the kids know that it bothers you, they're going to make sure that they press that home and they're going to say something about it. And I think a lot of times, and I also went to this seminar where we they were talking about the imposter syndrome, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. But, um, they were talking about that, and some of the women on that council were saying how when the males in their office made a mistake, they just pointed it out. Like, they pointed it out boldly, almost like they were the hero. Like, oh, yeah, you know, guys, there's a there's a typo on page five. Go ahead and correct that for me. And then they keep moving. But a lot of times when you already feel you know, self-conscious or you are afraid that people are perceiving you a certain way, you'll tend to, like be overly apologetic or become aggressive and, um, you know, really trying to defend yourself from enemies that aren't there. And so when you create a situation where everybody's the enemy, then honestly, nobody is really all that invested in helping you. They may be invested in keeping their jobs. You're only going to get them to work hard enough to, to do that. And so nobody wants a person on their team, honestly, where that person is more 
concerned about kind of building up a relationship or sucking up to the boss than they are about moving forward with uh, moving the company forward and working with their their peers. So it's important for you to create an environment where people feel comfortable speaking up about having conversations, pointing out where there's errors so that we can fix them and we can just keep it moving. And so imposter syndrome really is is the biggest fear. It's this idea that, you know, at any moment when you're uncertain about the way forward, you feel like you don't belong there and people are going to kind of find you out. But when you do that, you isolate, you close yourself off from progress. You close yourself off from the potential of learning from others. Being the boss does not mean you always know the next step. Being the boss means that you're willing to collect a lot of information in order to figure out the next step. And so if you already have all of your plans, your your things mapped out and come hell or high water, you're going to stick to that plan, then you're just you're not going to be a good CEO. So those top fears can often lead to dysfunctional behavior and you want to be able to kind of um, basically show that you're a person that can deal with those missteps, okay? And you can deal with your own fears because we all have them. It's just kind of channeling them in the right direction so that we don't make poor decisions. A lot of times people will make poor decisions like, you know, they don't have good follow through or they don't take responsibility because I don't want to seem weak. So if something goes wrong, it has to be somebody else's fault. And I'm here to tell you, like, honestly, being a good CEO, that you have to step up and be like President Reagan, who said the buck stops here. Or even like George Bush, who said that, you know, all of the praise and accolades are are deserved by the people that were underneath him and all the fault was his. As the CEO, as any kind of leader in an organization, you do have to take that mentality where, you know, I'm going to try to coach people when they make a mistake, but ultimately... All of this is on me because I am the leader. And so when you have an organization or a leader, when you have a leader of an organization who points blame at others, all it does is build mistrust. And so by doing that, it negatively affects the the bottom line. All right. And some other things that can come with this, some other missteps that can come when you're too afraid or you allow your fear to control you is that you start to focus on survival instead of growth. So you become, you know, overly adverse to risk and you don't want to take any risk because you feel like making a mistake will make you look bad and you don't want to do that. You also encourage the other members of your team to follow your steps. So once again, if you're a person who shifts the blame, then that's all going to flow downhill and you're going to continue to lose talented people who are given a lot of the responsibility, but they actually had no power in making that decision. And that's something that like, you know, nobody wants to be in that position. So what can we do to make sure that our fears are not controlling our behaviors and they don't lead to to negative consequences? Well, one thing that you could do is to make sure that you are captaining the ship. Like, you know, you are in control. Make sure you're taking responsibility. That also doesn't mean you have to micromanage. You know, the idea here is to put talented people to trust, you know, trust your instinct to go through the process and put talented people in positions where you can trust them. And then ultimately, if something goes wrong, you know, you have to figure out the process of correcting it. Either, you know, you have to admit that you made a mistake in hiring that person and you have to take steps to kind of rectify that. Or you have to look and see that, you know, possibly if I put the best person in this position, this is the advice that they gave me. And yet the outcome was flawed. Then that may mean I have to go back and look at the process. I think we're living in the world right now where people have not really 
gone through people. We don't get trained to be leaders. You know, even going through some sort of leadership uh, management program doesn't necessarily mean you're cut out to be a good leader. And part of that leadership is that idea, you know, that you can't necessarily just blame it on your staff. You have to look at the process. You have to look at, you know, some of the decisions you made. You have to even look at maybe I can, you know, I can come up with a better vendor or there's some part of this process I can tweak and make the overall product come out better. But it can't just be a point where if something bad happens, I'm going to find I already have a person in the chamber that I'm going to blame. Don't ignore your company culture. Make sure that you understand that the more happier your your staff is, the more productive they're going to be. And so an environment where people take ownership, um, where they understand their responsibilities clearly, where you're not really asking them to overlap with other people's responsibility and yet expecting the outcome to be clear and clean. And just making sure that, that everyone who works for you is, is really engaged in their work. The worst thing that you could do is to create a culture and a climate and company where everybody's on autopilot. You want your people to continuously feel challenged, to continuously feel motivated, and honestly feel like they have a say in what goes on there. So you want to empower people when they see a flaw in the process to bring it to your attention, not be somebody who's going to be, you know, aggressive towards that person or react to their person um, negatively just because they pointed out something that could be done better. That is not... Uh, indication on you. In fact, the fact that people feel comfortable coming to you with the problem really is um, a compliment to your leadership abilities. Also, one of the things that most CEOs really should do, and this is easy when you have a startup because again, you go through the process of working all those jobs because in the beginning, you're you do all the jobs. And so you know, and as you build that system and structure for what that job should look like and you pass it off to others, you still retain that information so you can kind of get feedback and guidance. But what if you come in and you're the CEO or you're a leader uh, coming in from a different company into a new culture and climate and new people to work with? Well, one thing that you may want to do, honestly, is... Um, you know, think about it as a sports metaphor. You know, you want to get on the team. You want to get your hands dirty. You want to wear a uniform. You want to go out there. You want to do the jobs. It's almost like looking at anything from eye level. You want to get down there so you can see what's really happening on the floor. That's going to empower you as a CEO to, to understand where some things could be improved. Now, if you're already in those positions and you're looking back and think, okay, well, how can I improve um, this from the standpoint that I am? You know, I can't go on an undercover boss because my staff is too small or everybody knows what I look like. Well, okay. Well, one of the things that you could do, honestly, is something you know, frankly, I do as a consultant. One of the things I do is poll the people that work there. I survey the the actual stakeholders and the customers. A lot of times, you know, for example, in education or a lot of in, in companies, we'll say, we'll skip over the people who work for us, the people who work in our building every day. And we don't look at those as our customers and the people that we as leaders have to serve. And we say, okay, well, our customers are those outside people. Well, no, if I'm a leader, my customer is the people that are in my building and I have to trust them to to take care of their customers, which is our end consumer in general. And so it's a chain and not like I just ignore or don't value the people that work for me. And so when I, you know, work as part of the team, when I go down there and I get my hands dirty and I work some of the jobs, I understand um, where the process is broken. 
But if I'm already in a position of leadership, one of the easiest things and the best things I can do is to just ask the people who are currently in those jobs and really be accepting and have a little bit of humility in order to be able to listen. And listening is is really important because when you're afraid, a lot of times your mind is closed off to different possibilities, okay? And you don't really understand or know that you're doing something. And so a lot of times we have a blind spot where ourselves are concerned. And it often takes a third party um, and other people to kind of give us feedback. And so a lot of people, you know, either will avoid doing surveying their, you know, their stakeholders, surveying the people that work underneath them because they feel like, you know, they're afraid. They're afraid of what they're going to hear. But, you know, if you're a person who's adaptable, which is, you know, an essential quality of a leader, then... No matter what they say, you should be able to take that information and use it to make yourself better. And that should alleviate some of the fear. Now with that, we're going to take a break here shortly. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, getting that third party perspective in the form of coaching. Once again, my name is Kendall Lawson, sitting in for Dominic. And you're listening to The Startup Life. Our teacher looking for great resources look no further than our teaching with owls section of our website enjoy great lessons such as our mini lesson for the story of an hour or dive into the nixon presidency as part of our legacy series enjoy great peace of mind from our units as they are common core line click the link in the show notes to purchase all right startup nation let's continue now we left off talking a little bit more about you know talking a little bit about leadership and being able to listen to others now, at the risk of making this all seem a lot more difficult than it needs to be, I don't, I'm not advocating for that, okay? Uh, you know, a lot of people, they get in positions and they just need to justify their wages. So, you know, my job has to be the hardest. You know, you really want to keep the, you know, keep the focus. And that's why doing some of the jobs are important. And you really understand how much weight you are actually concentrating at, at lower levels on the people who work for you. But that's not to say that the job of a CEO is easy. Of course, out of all of these things we've talked about, it shows that it really isn't. Being able to to see the big picture, to think clearly, but to also be able to take guidance is it's not an easy thing. And it's really important, especially now when we're talking about how entrepreneurship is kind of a fad, to be able to look more deeply and be able to, um, you know, to be coachable. You know, you can't be too smart to learn from anyone else. You You can't always be the smartest person in the room. Um, you have to be a wise man who knows all that they do not know, you know, and are willing to learn and, and 
really be a continuous learner. Even if your company is doing, you know, $8 million a year, you really want to kind of not be content with that and say, okay, what can we be doing to get to $12 million a year? And that's not to say that it's all about money. It's simply to say, I want to keep growing. I want to keep being able to employ more and more talented people. And I want to keep, you know, bringing my mission and vision to the world. But a lot of times you can't you know, you can't get across that those noble visions and those things like that without a kind of being able to explain and and bring that to other people and understanding that other people want to be a part of something, you know, that's bigger than themselves. And so with all of that on your shoulders, the 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 idea of, you know, needing to motivate others, of having a clear vision, of making those tough decisions. It helps to have somebody on your team, somebody who's guiding you, somebody who's been through this. Okay. And so that brings us to the realm of CEO coaching. And it's an up and coming kind of group. And um, it's an up and coming kind of idea. Because for the longest time, the idea was that if I'm a if I'm a CEO, right, if I'm the head person, that I shouldn't need anybody to coach and mentor me. And that is a recipe for being stuck where you are, and for building, you know, just bad cultures. Because even if you have a good system going, that's going to change as you grow, as you expand into new markets and as any number of things happen. And so if you're only stuck in your own ways and you can't adapt and you don't want to listen to other ideas, then, you know, you're going to be stuck. And so one of the good things that you can do as CEO is to build a great team of advisors around you, if you want to call them that, because I guess there's some stigma from needing coaching, you know. And so we talked about how there's blind spots that you have and especially, you know, you don't pay attention to when things are going well. And then when things start to go poorly, of course, our instinct is to kind of blame blame it on others. But one of the things is to have a neutral kind of third party who's going to come in and they're going to give you some unfiltered, unadulterated advice. And, you know, and of course it is your job at that point to, you know, decide if you want to take it or not. But it's really important sometimes to have those reality checks from somebody who's not beholden to you. And and certainly, you know, once again, if you've made your mark out of building a, um, you know, a company of yes men, then this is not something that you're going to be able to get from within. You know, if you talk to most CEOs, they basically will say that they need, you know, if they're going to take some coaching, it'll be in some pretty generic kind of areas. I'll take some coaching in conflict resolution or I'll take some some coaching in, you know, team building or something like that. And so a lot of people are more than happy to kind of bring in third parties to kind of deal with those parts of it that they think are, you know, kind of innocuous and simple and, you know, not really a personal reflection, you know. If it's conflict resolution, a lot of time that conflict could be coming from, you know, overly aggressive uh, employees or team building. You know, I'm trying to build motivation in these other people. But a lot of times we don't pay attention to the soft, you know, so-called soft skills that are underneath that, that are sometimes weaknesses, you know, in our leadership style. So a lot of times people don't want to be seen as if they're remedial or as if, you know, their skills are lacking. But it's a really important skill for a CEO to be focused on things like motivation and compassion and persuasion. And a lot of times if you built up the company because you're a finance guy or you're an operation guy, these kind of things can kind of fall in um, in between the cracks. And so and there's a big so there's a big relationship bet- between being the type of person who's a continual learner, the type of 
you know, the type of CEO who reads a lot of books, who who learns for some of the best in the business um, are usually more open to having, these, you know, people who have done this come in to, to advise them. And so you're, if you're a CEO, even if it's not of a big company or if you're just a, a leader or of, of an organization such as a school or a small business or a nonprofit, a lot of times, you know, Having that third party to come in and give you advice on these kind of things, how to motivate your people and keep them passionate, how to show compassion um, and and understand where the the line is sometimes blurred between, you know, being a compassionate person and understanding that you're, you know, the people who work for you are human and they have needs versus making a decision that, you know, is sort of geared towards pushing your company forward. So that there is always this balancing act that you have to do. A lot of times, if you really want to keep the scales balanced, then you need somebody on the other side. Otherwise, your idea is always going to be the most heavily weighted in, in, in your mind. And so that, of course, means that your coaches have to be people that you trust and that you respect. Um, because, you know, they're going to be the person on the other side of that scale a lot of times trying to balance it, um, trying to balance it out. And then you're going to have to be the person that ultimately makes the decision to, you know, take the middle ground and try to do what's best for both, you know, your company and the people who work within it. And so what are some qualities that you should look for in um, a coach? Because I, you know, it's starting to be, again, that's a new kind of fad thing too. All these people are coaches, they're business coaches out here. Okay. Well, one of the things that you you may want to consider is that your coach should not necessarily be the loudest and, and, you know, their job is not to motivate you or energize you and that sort of thing. I mean, if you're looking for that um, as the CEO, as the owner of a business and that sort of thing, um, you know, that's something that's going to be a really serious issue because out of everyone, you really should be the most motivated and passionate in your company. So the idea is that you should be focusing more on how to communicate with others. All right. And so what I mean by that is a lot of times, you know, I'm seeing people where their business coach is really just like their hype man. <laughs> and, you know, that's dangerous because, you know, you don't have that person's filling the role of bringing you sometimes, you know, necessarily have to kind of bring you back down to earth or having to point out uh, you know, some idea or some problem from the perspective of the people who work there. And so if your coach is only a hype man, they're there to get you energized. They're there to, you know, talk about what you're doing. They're there to talk, you know, say that you're going to make a million dollars by next year, then you're missing out on some of the, the characteristics of a coach that really indicate that they are quality people. So this person may not be the most energetic, but they should be smart. They should be intuitive, not just about your specific industry, but about business in general. Even your coach does not have to be a person who you're competing with in a market. That person, your coach can be somebody who's from a completely different industry. And a lot of times they'll be able to teach you how to apply some of the things, some of the mechanics and processes from their industry and try to see how they work. And that's why it's important to have a coach that's intuitive about a lot of different industries a lot another thing that that does is it kind of alleviates that idea of competition you know where it's kind of in the back of your head like you know is this person really giving me the best advice seeing as if my company grows I'm gonna be competing with them you know a good coach understands that you know there's plenty of money and opportunity out here for everyone there are customers who are going to you know they're just going to bond better with you or your company culture is going to be more suited to what they're trying to accomplish so that there's plenty of work and money out here for everyone and so you really want to pick a coach who you feel confident um, in their abilities 
to help you in your industry, to understand the, the dynamics of your, not just your business, but your staff, um, who themselves have good communication skills. You know, if you often feel like your coach is kind of talking down and you're operating you or anything like that, then that person is not going to be able to teach you great skills about how to, how to communicate or interpersonal skills with the other people on your staff. All right. Um, that person should be neutral. Once again, you know, they can't be the person that's just your hype man. And they need to be able to give you neutral, balanced, and honest assessments. All right. And um, this person should be a person who's able to to be a good trainer and teacher. Just, a lot of times people, you know, this, of course, this kind of personal one for me as well. A lot of people think, don't realize or don't accept that, that teaching you know, is, it's, 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 it's a skill, it's a calling. And that doesn't mean that you have to be in the classroom. It just means that just because somebody has information doesn't mean they're good at conveying that information to others. And so you really want to look at those things when you talk to somebody, how do you feel when this person is giving you advice? And, and honestly, is their advice always positive and motivational? Or sometimes, you know, they hit you with the hard truths. When you evaluate what what your coach is saying to you, you want to make sure you're hearing a healthy balance of both. You want to hear, you want to make sure that even when they're saying something negative, you don't feel talked down to, you don't feel demoralized because a lot of times they're just going to pass that on to you and you're going to pass that on to, to the people who work for you. And also that this person is dynamic. We talked about this, about being intuitive and being able to work within a lot of different branches. I never want to work with a consultant that comes to me on the first day with an outline plan. You haven't even talked to me. You haven't been in my building. You haven't talked to my people. So how do you know what it is we need? And the reality is there, they have a canned, oh, this is my three-step process. If somebody comes to you with their three-step process for how to do so-and-so and such and such, you really need to take a step back and think about that. You know, look at it. Is it generic enough or generalized enough where you can adapt it? And are they encouraging you to adapt it? Or is this person saying, this is what has worked for me and this is what I'm going to tell you to do? Because if it's the canned approach, you 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 just really don't want to deal with that. That's not a good coach. They're not going to be able to help you come up with, with innovative solutions when you reach a problem in your business. Because like I said, those problems will always be different because the players will be different. And so no two are exactly alike. You know, I'll say one final thing on what to look for in coaches and then we'll kind of move on. One thing that you want to make sure is that when your coach leaves, you feel worked. It's almost like, honestly, you need to look at these coaches or we should be looking at coaches. Um, you know, again, not like it means something bad about us, not like it means we're not up to the, the, the task, but really like athletes have coaches. You know, you're looking at people with raw talent, raw skill, who are saying a lot of them have their own brands and they're the CEOs of their own company, but they still take direction from somebody else who has a bigger picture about how their brand and their personality and their skill set complements somebody else. So once again, you want to coach with, with, with vision as well. And so, so these athletes with the brands, you know, when they go see a coach or they go see a trainer, one of the things that happens at the end is even though they are great athletic and physical specimens at the end of those routines and those sessions, they feel like they've had a workout. Like this person has pushed and this person has challenged us. So yeah, great. You have a coach or, or a mentor and they come and, and, you know, 
every time they leave, you feel above the cloud and you feel, they've just reinforced your beliefs and your, your, your pride in yourself, but you never feel worked out and challenged. Like every time they leave, there's not a, a to-do list for you to do. You may want to reconsider that, that culture and relationship as well, because you're not getting pushed. You're not getting anything out of it. And so if this person is basically saying everything you're already doing is perfect and you don't really need any coaching, then you're, you're really, you know, not investing your funds. Well, sometimes when that person leaves, you should have a to-do list. You should have um, some actionable steps in your mind, you know, as opposed to just like a general feeling of, of happiness and like they've reinforced and patted you on the back. It's great to have a pat on the back at the end, but there should be some work or something that you've done. And so you should be able to say, okay, I'm exhausted because they put me through the ringer and we did, we got, you know, we got some stuff done or, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm amped up because I have this list to do that this person has told me that I need to work on. I need to change. But if you get neither of those out of a relationship, then, you know, you don't have a coach who's putting you through a workout. You have a coach who really is just, you know, allowing you to kind of go about your business, but that doesn't help you grow. You know, look at coaches that way. And then you won't look at them as like, you know, it's something bad. You look at something you need, you know, you need somebody who's going to get you out of your narrow kind of space with the way you're looking at things from one perspective and be able to see it from a, a from a bigger sp- perspective from an outside perspective or from somebody who understands how you can bring your skill set to a larger market or to a collaboration or a group of of people all right so we talked about some of the reasons why it's difficult to be a ceo and of course that leads to some fears that we have to definitely conquer unless um because if we don't we're going to bring some mistakes to um to our business and it's going to rub off on our the culture and the climate inside of our business and ultimately it's going to drive away some really talented people now one of the reasons uh, ways that we've talked about dealing with this is getting a great coach and we talked about what to look for in a mentor so that being said, you know, this is a lot and a lot of this seems like it's grounded around being the CEO of a company or starting your having your own startup. But the reality is, is that if you're going to become a CEO, you have to start being a CEO right now. These characteristics that, that you know, make people great CEOs don't just come up when you're called to leadership that leadership ability and these characteristics have been there the entire time while you were working your way up through through the company um, as you were grinding through that first five years of your of your startup to where you have enough people working under you and you're now ceo but you've already been a ceo you've been the ceo of your own life sometimes some of you guys are the ceo of your own of your family and so what that means is there are these characteristics that are kind of be there that are there and so the first way um, in this last part that we're talking about is, how, you know, how to become a CEO is to start being a CEO right now. You know, and so that means kind of knowing what are the character traits of a CEO. And we've hinted at them, but I'm going to kind of lay it out for you now. The personal characteristics of a CEO include like, you know, um, if you're a CEO, if you start to, if you want to be hired as a CEO or start a company, um, they're going to look at two things, your personality and your track record. Your personality, you know, really should include your your drive and your ambition. Everyone wants to work with or hire a CEO 
that that has vision, that has ambition and wants to take the company forward. Even if I'm taking a helm of a highly successful sexual organization, I really still want to be a, like put my own stank on it. Right. Like I really want to bring my own personality and have a vision for where to go next. That doesn't mean, however, that I have to lay waste to everything that was there before me that was working. I just want to kind of figure out what I can bring to the table. You know, I've often talked about hiring uh, within an organization. And I think a good CEO, you know, and somebody who's going to become a, a great CEO is a person who's comfortable being the leader of leaders. If you think about chief executive officer, what that means is that you have executive officers that's underneath you. So an executive is a decision maker. So a lot of these people are leaders. So you have to be comfortable being the chief or the leader of other leaders. That means that, you know, yes, people have to take direction. Yes, people want to kind of follow orders. But you also want people who are empowered to kind of do their own job. And so that means that you have to have have vision and you have to be able to motivate other people with ambition and accept that those people have ambition. If you approach everything from the, from the perspective of, well, I don't really want to, you know, cultivate and develop somebody who could eventually take my job, then you're just going to be surrounded by untalented people. So you want to have your, you personally want to have drive and ambition and kind of know what the next step is so that you can bring other people behind you in your footsteps. And so now not everybody's kind of cut out for that. The next thing you should have is good communication skills. Now, a lot of people kind of take that to mean, well, I have to be able to stand up in front of a television prompt or I have to be comfortable you know, speak in front of large audiences. And ultimately you end up, you will. Because your passion and your belief in your product is going to empower you to stand up and, and sell your idea and your product to the world. Because in your mind, it won't even be selling. It will be telling other people about something that they need, like that will benefit them. But also, you know, understanding that a, a large part of communication is being honest with people is when people when you talk to people, they really feel like you're talking to them, that they feel like they can trust your word, that they feel like honestly that you listen in return. And so that listening is a huge part of communication skills. Um, but also, you know, being able to be clear and understand and accept when you're not clear. When somebody doesn't understand, that's not a criticism of you. It just means I have to think of another way to kind of get this point across. And then listen in return when other people's are, people are trying to communicate to me their needs. And so the capacity to understand the needs of others and ultimately understand what the business needs in order to grow is going to be a key factor. Now, of course, that communication skill is going to embolden and build your ability to make connections with others. And so becoming a good CEO right now means that you have to be networking. And by networking, again, it brings in this idea of listening and understanding the needs of others. When you are selling your company, a large part of that is listening to the needs of this other person. And you want to want to be able to step in at the end of the conversation and say, hey, you know, this is what I can do for you. A lot of times when people are networking, they go to these events kind of looking at it like, okay, well, what can I get out of this? You know, I actually had somebody, you know, kind of tell me, oh, um, and this is like on the first conversation. Oh, you can help me so and so and such and such. And I don't have a problem with that. You know, a large part of our mission is to help and empower other small businesses. But when you communicate and you're networking, that's one of the last things that you want to say. Like, oh, this is this is what you can do to help me. And there was never a conversation about how, you know, there's some quick pro quo, how this will help you, what I can do for you. And, and honestly, it wasn't even like taken on as a client. It was really just you can help me or give me this advice and give me this for free. 
And so that's not really what networking is. When you build a connection with somebody, you build a stronger bond if it's too stranded, if it's twofold. There's some giving and there's some taking. That gives, you know, now we're partners as opposed to, you know, yes, I feel good and great when I when we can volunteer, when we can help other people. But of course, it builds up a stronger relationship if they're helping me too, or we have a relationship that's twofold, you know. And that's in personal relationships as well as, as business, business connections, you know. The stronger your relationship is, the more the more equity, pretty much, that has been put in the relationship, okay? And so, you know, it's really difficult to try to build equity when there's, there's you know, think of it like a house where you're constantly putting something into it and it just feels like everything keeps breaking and you really never get any security or, or you know, a place to live out of it. You know, you're only going to do that for so for for such a little bit of time. And so what you really want to do is put equity. Everybody, you know, involved is should put equity into a relationship. And that's how you're going to see the, the best growth. And so once you have those personal you know, characteristics, you could, um, you know, a great resource for this, if you look at uh, the seven habits of highly effective people, does a really good job of that, of kind of separating the ideas into personal virtues which are these personal characteristics these personal things that you have to get a handle on so that you are not just a people person but that people like you as a person which are different things believe it or not um and then also these public victories so okay once you have these private characteristics that are going to make you a ceo i don't want to say today because they're not necessarily just easy things to cultivate. You do have to work at them. But they're going to make you a CEO before you actually get the title. But what are some steps that you can, some some, some actionable steps that you can begin and that so you'll know how most CEOs end up, you know, going through that path? Well, one of the things that Forbes mentioned is that you, you need to get a degree, okay? Um, a vast majority and percent of the people who currently have a uh, the title of CEO, they have a degree unless they were the founders and they built that company literally from the ground up. But what Forbes has also said is pointed out is that getting an undergraduate, your undergraduate degree really is not where you should break the bank. Like it kind of doesn't matter where you go. But your MBA or your advanced degree is somewhere where if you have it, you want to invest some of the money. Because a lot of times, um, you know, companies who pick CEOs or pick leaders of the company, they're going to pick from the elite, um, from people who went to schools like Harvard. Harvard is still like the gold standard of, you know, business schools. And so you should really consider, you know, getting a master's in something like business business administration, which a lot of uh, people um, who are CEOs currently a really, really high percent of them, about 25% of them really do have MBAs and business degrees. you also see people who have degrees in finance specifically and a large portion of CEOs really, they start off as a CFO because the, you know, they really have a broader view of what makes the company, makes the company uh, successful. And, you know, and they have these communication skills because they've spent time already talking to the shareholders, if not necessarily the stakeholders. All right. Um, One of the career paths that are suggested right now, if you want to be a CEO, is to actually become an engineer. Um, A lot of times starting off in engineering means that you have a technical knowledge of of the products that your company may sell or the processes or systems that you use. But it also means that, you know, in engineering, there's a large part of it that is planning and broad vision. And so and 
in addition to that, the idea that the world is becoming much more integrated. Um, and so a lot of people who come from foreign countries um, are going to be looking for and they actually respect, you know, technical and scientific knowledge. And so uh, as the world merges to become this one big economy, you'll find that a lot of people who come from emerging markets are going to have these degrees in engineering. And so a lot of you know, CEOs and, you know, potential leaders from third, you know, from other countries are going to have degrees in things like engineering. So that's something that you may want to consider. Now, once you've chosen a, a career, um, or once you've chosen a degree, you really have to pay attention to what, you know, and think about what your career path is going to be. It used to be that a lot of people who became CEOs had operational experience. So they really literally started at the bottom and kind of worked their way through. But evidence is really showing that while experience is going to be important, you don't necessarily always get it from one company. And so even, um, so as you transition though, a large, a lot of companies will hire their CEO from within, from their upper ranks of, you know, executives. And so, you know, there's a, there's an incentive at that level to kind of stay within a company, but understand that all your experience does not have to come from just the one. Another career path or career choice that you may consider if you want to be the CEO of one of the larger companies is to, um, you know, after you get out and you get your start and get experience, you may want to go start and um, start consulting. All right. Consulting is where you, again, you start to see how certain mechanisms and processes can work within different areas, different companies, different industries even. A good percentage of CEOs come from consulting, big consulting companies like McKinsey or J.P. Morgan. And you also, you know, you have to kind of see, of course, that consulting gives you an opportunity to kind of network and come up with a broad base of support and people who kind of speak to your expertise and your abilities, you know, as opposed to working, you know, way your, your way up, you kind of have a limited number of people who can speak to what you're able to do. And these would be just the people who know you and have interacted with you within that one company. Here's my final take. Being a CEO isn't easy. There are going to be numerous challenges. There's going to be some of them that are expected and some of them that are going to catch you completely off guard. But if you take the right steps, you can propel your career and your company forward. But what we have to understand is that um, asking for advice from within or outside our company is not a show of weakness and that our weaknesses oftentimes are founded in our fears. And then in order to conquer our fears, we need to have a plan for how we're going to incorporate the other members of our team to give us honest feedback when, um, when we need it the most, when we're successful or when we are not. We have to re accept responsibility. A good leader knows that no matter what happens, there are decisions that they made or decisions that they are responsible for, more importantly, that, that are going to make or break the company. So with that, I'd like to thank you, Startup Nation, for allowing me to step in. Dominic will be back in the booth next week. Thank you for allowing me to hopefully pour some wisdom into you today. And in the meantime, just try to remember that being a CEO isn't easy. But if you take the steps that we've outlined in this, in, uh, this episode today, you really can be about that life. Hashtag boss life. If you want to let us know what you think about the show or would like to advertise on our show, send us an email using the address in the show notes. Subscribe to The Startup Life as it can now be heard on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life. The Startup Life.